What's up, man? Got the Fullerton hat on. That's nice. You just you just got bonus points, but you knew it was Fullerton and not Florida. <laughs> Joining us now on Pushing Through, it is a man from the New York Times, a NBA reporter from ESPN for from a long time ago, Mark Stein, of course. Now he's a, his NBA newsletter. Getting used to the new NBA was the headline, and Mark Stein's joining us today. And Mark, I have to ask you right now, what is it like getting used to the new NBA? What is the new NBA like? And uh, in your words and your vantage point, uh, how is it going right now in the new NBA? Well, look, the last couple of days as we record this has been my, my first couple of days going back to practices. And, and that's been fantastic. Just being back in a gym and just having, you know, it's definitely not the same, but but there it is a little bit of normal. And I think we all want anything in our lives that that feels like it used to feel. And, you know, the media, we don't get to see much of practice. You know, I actually started in the 93, 94 season. So, you know, I, I wasn't there right for the beginning of, of BJ's career, but in those days, you know, we used to get to watch full practices. You know, I've heard stories of, you know, Jordan showing up at three o'clock and, and giving interviews for three hours before games. You know, I never got that NBA, but it was a lot different when I started than it is now. You know, now when you go to practice, you see free throws and you see individual <laughs> shooting and that's all you see. But you know what? To see the Washington Wizards shoot free throws yesterday, and to see to see the San Antonio Spurs just putting on their their high tops before practice, those, those were that was that was a good feeling. You know, Mark. Uh, you know, we like to say we love to hear the ball bouncing and the shoes squeaking, <laughs> but I haven't heard. The, I can't recall in my life that I haven't had basketball for this length of time. Just just give us a little touch. Give us a little behind the scenes play by play. Was it good, Mark? Did you did you see the guys sweating? Did you see the guys hitting each other? Just give us a little play by play. We we need anything the, right now. The first the first practice I went to was Dallas, and and that was just because that was the first practice on Monday morning, and I happened to live in Dallas, so obviously that's a team that I see a lot. And I walked into the gym, and you know a lot of these all these practices are in convention centers, so the ceilings it's not like an arena. These guys can throw the ball off the ceiling. So I walk in the gym to the right of me. Porzingis, Marjanovic, and Maxi Kleba are having a trick shot competition, <laughs> trying to throw the ball off the top of the ceiling, make it bounce on the ground and bounce in. And then on the far, far basket, Luka Doncic got his headband on, which is a new look for him. Mm-hmm. And he's he and Jamal Mosley, one of the Mavs assistants, you know, Luka's just doing his whole jab step thing and just, you know, that's what they do before every single game, home or away. Jamal Mosley and Luka Doncic basically play one-on-one and go through all kinds of defensive simulations. And and Luka just works through his whole bag. And like I said, just seeing something like that, that it just felt normal was fantastic. Just to watch, to see Luka Doncic doing his pregame or practice routine. It's been four months. It's been wait. It's been longer than it, for any of us. For and for, And just imagine playing. I mean, BJ, if you were still playing, imagine not playing for four months. You know, maybe in the in the 80s and 90s, guys were still taking off seasons off and getting in shape in camp. But nowadays, 
no basketball for four months is insanity. Not, not for us, for the play. It, this is hardest for the players. And, and I mean, obviously people online, Mark, I mean, they're going crazy about watching Luka Doncic play spike ball and watching JJ Beret and these guys play, you know, little games around the campus. We had Emmanuel Moutier on and Moutier was telling us that it was the first time that all the NBA players are kind of on, on an even playing field. They're just walking around the same pond. They're seeing each other. From that vantage point, do you think, you know, in this new NBA, we could see some different, you know, matchups as far as confidence with guys because we're all eating the same food, we're all living in the same quarters, and we're all going to sort of have the, the first even playing field we'd ever seen in the NBA moving forward? Yeah, I mean, no home court advantage and no fans. I mean, those are no travel. These are mm-hmm. massive variables that we we can't even predict how it's going to be. But I, I've heard a lot of coaches talk about that, that, one thing they are looking forward to is not not coming in at 3 a.m. Not, you know, not knowing that their whole team had had a midnight meal on the plane. I mean, these guys get to play and they get to go back. It's not their bed, but they get to go back to a bed and sleep and wake up the next day. And they're already where they need to be. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, Mark, uh, they are going to be playing in neutral sites. Can you give us a little insight from what the coaches and executives feel about playing on these neutral courts because we play all year, the NBA and the teams play all year to get that advantage of playing at home and having potentially game seven at home, which as you and I both know, and I think most NBA fans will say it is an advantage to play at home. But can you tell us or share with us what the coaches, the executives, and even the players, if you have any insight on what it would be like to play in this type of environment, because they're all going to be playing on a neutral court. I think people really aren't quite there yet because it's still so new. But, you know, as you guys are talking to me, literally, when we hang up, I'm getting ready to go to, to my first scrimmage to actually see, you know, Orlando and the Clippers play. And it'll be the first time two teams are on a court playing against each other since since March 11th. And it's a completely different, you know, the benches, you know, it's three rows of benches. Everything is socially distant. I'm sure coaches – Assistant coaches for sure will be wearing masks. We'll, we'll have to see about the head coaches. I think all of those things are going to be such a shock to the system that I think that's what everyone needs to process first. But there's no question. The Milwaukee Bucks, the Lakers, they've lost a lot. A team like the Clippers, mm-hmm. you could say, has probably gained something here because if, if the Clippers were to play the Lakers in that dream Western Conference Finals matchup that so many of us have envisioned all season – that's going to be a Laker crowd for seven games. Yep. Now there's no crowd. So that has, if those teams do meet, that's got to be a boost for the Clippers ultimately. But I, I would still say that still feels kind of a ways off there. It's still so new and there's so much they got to figure out. And one of the biggest stories I think that has come out from the media side of this, right, uh, and you put this in your, your newsletter today, was that the common area has been closed off. So some of the early things we saw, which the big story was Chris Haynes at one point, he got on an IG Live, right. and Kuzma and Donovan Mitchell walked by. We all know that story. So now that's closed off from the media. And you mentioned this in your piece. You may not get those interactions with the players. You may not get those juicy stories. But are you excited just to talk about the basketball aspect of this and the, and the, the counter moves that are going to be made? Because those will probably be the bigger stories because we're not going to get as many personal stories from the players and as many reports, right? Because that common area and that space has been you know divided and split up. Well, well I have to be honest. I mean, since, since, since March 11th, I've been working nonstop. In the NBA, mm-hmm. the news has not stopped for one second. But I really have written very little basketball 
for the last four plus months. And I'm still not there yet. Going to this scrimmage, it's not even about who looks good. And, you know, the Clippers, obviously, <laughs> the Clippers don't have, you know, they, you know, Patrick Beverly and Montrez Harrell have left. And what is, like, I'm, I'm not even ready to get to how does Kawhi look. It's just, it, to me, it's too soon. There are just still so many unknowns about how this is all going to work. Next week, when we get close to July 30th and the games are about to tip off, I think that's when I'll start to say, okay, it's, it's time to, to talk basketball. But just for me yet, it's just still been adjusting to the life. But, you know, your other point, yeah, I mean, that, there's no doubt reporters are frustrated about that. I mean, we're mm-hmm. used to having much more access. And the reality is because of safety, we have very little uh, the, you know, they, they, they basically don't want us getting near anyone. And so there, there are zillions of rules in place that have never been in place before. And basically when, you know, you mentioned Chris Haynes and Malika Andrews, they were here early and they got to basically have a, a two week head start on the rest of us. When the other 15 to 17 reporters got out of quarantine, we're basically down to less than one square mile of campus that we're allowed to be on. So we're allowed to go to the the three gyms for games we're allowed to go to the seven practice arenas but beyond that we're only allowed to be at our hotel and it's like a one square mile area and there was a common area where reporters and players staying in the grand destino the eight highest seated teams there was an area where where the best teams and reporters were crossing with some frequency which obviously is reporters we love even if it's just to say hello and talk for one minute but that that has largely been shut down. And, and look, on the outside, that's the stuff everyone wants to see. When these guys are, are you know, posting videos and tweeting about what they're doing, that's the goal. That's what everybody wants to see, what their life is like. Because the basketball, we're all going to see it. Everyone at home is going to see pretty much what we see here because the league's going to go to such great lengths to televise everything. You know, Mark, you and I have both, you know, been around. And when you came into the league, I remember when you came into the league and I was there a few years earlier. At one point, Mark, the, it was about the game itself. <laughs> and now to watch the game, the popularity of the game, the growth of the game, we're reporting on everything except the game. How, is, how has that been for you? And over this time, and, and we're talking about their fashion, we're talking about, you know, personalities. Yeah. We talk about so many things. And when I watch, you know, when I read articles or I'm watching television or what have you, I mean, it's great for the game. But we're in the news now literally, you know, all year for things that happen off the court. How has that been for you to watch and observe? I mean, for me, it's been fantastic. For us in the media, it's sensational because what it really says is the interest is just, I mean, it was obviously building and really starting to just explode in the 90s, but it's it's even, it's just reached a place that the, the, the fan investment in these, you know, and I don't even like using the word, but it's, it's in a way, it is a soap opera, and it's like the investment in the, in the characters. Like, fan interest is such that they want to know what these guys are doing all day long. It's got to be not sensational for the players, you know. Obviously, right. there are a lot of benefits to it. Financially, there are tons, ton of benefits, but, 
you know, you don't get, I imagine you don't get much privacy if, if you're a star player in the modern NBA, because there's such interest in what you do. But from a media perspective, you know, let, let's be honest, how could we, you know, I'm, when I started covering the NBA, it was, it was not the sexiest beat for a sports reporter. You know, when I was coming up through the ranks, you wanted to be a baseball reporter and then you wanted to graduate to general columnist and kind of pontificate on all sports. The general columnist role was seen as, you know, that was the best job. It was a huge break for me that specialization came, started coming in right around 2000, right around the turn of the century. Specialization came in and, and the, you know, fans have access to so much more and are, you know, they can call BS on reporters who don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you had to really know your stuff. It's hard, you, it's hard to cover one league as closely as it should be. How can I write about seven different sports? Well, I'm not an expert on seven different sports. I mean, this is my lane and this is what I do. But I think, again, what it, what it reflects in the grand scheme is just the interest in this league and these players is – it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And how, how could you not be grateful if you're a reporter for that? And, and it's gotten to the point, Stein, where, you know, now the, the reporters like yourself and, and Chris Haynes and Malika Andrews and the people that are tied to the game. I mean, even look at my old boss, Bill Simmons. I mean, they become big personalities and they're tied to the game of basketball. And you guys, like you said, you're all in this hotel together. Chris Haynes at one point is playing Ding Dong Ditch uh, in your room. People are people are watching you guys like a reality show also. So you guys are also like part of the news and also reporting on the news uh, of the players. So what is that like if we could break the fourth wall a little bit? Because uh, I, I find that fascinating as well because you guys are all competing for the same stories in the same building. It's like the real world. Well, and that's why I've written so much about my own experience here. And I think that's why all of us are. Normally, I would not. I hate writing about work conditions. Yeah. I had a zillion great mentors when I was breaking in at the Orange County Register. I, I started there when I was 18 and just had all these veterans to show show me the ropes. And it's interesting, B, BJ and I just had a conversation the other day and BJ talked about, you know, the veteran, like the veteran mentors who can show you what to do, how valuable that is. It's the same thing in journalism. I had, yeah. you know, 20, 50 writers who who really taught me a lot and and just invaluable life lessons. And one of the biggest and one of the first was do not complain about your work conditions. The <laughs> audience doesn't want to hear it. They do not care. You, have a you should have told Rondo job. that. Yeah. <laughs> Zillions of people would love to trade places with you. Don't whine about your hotel, your food, the press box, just keep it to yourself. But in, in this instance, I don't, I, I feel like, the public has never been more interested in what we are doing and how we are doing it because there are no fans here. There are only 10 independent reporters and then there are roughly 10 from ESPN and Turner. That's it. So we really are the eyes and ears for everyone who loves this game that can't be here. So that's why I think you're seeing a lot of people are sharing, uh, you know, that we are sharing kind of what we are doing to try to, to try to paint that picture. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, Tropical Bros. Whether you're hitting the course with friends, planning your weekend getaway, or thinking about an upcoming party, Tropical Bros has what you need. Golf polos and Hawaiian shirts made from the lightest, most incredible stretch polyester blended fabric to keep you comfortable while enjoying life in style. 
Visit TheMetropicalBros.com and put in the promo code PUSHIN, P-U-S-H-I-N, to get 20% off with that discount code PUSHIN. Again, visit the website TropicalBros.com and enter the code PUSHIN for a 20% discount. All right, back to Mark Stein. You know, Mark, recently you had an article um, when we spoke, I think over the weekend, that eventually came out with Tracy McGrady and Jermaine O'Neal, which... You know, I, I applaud it. I was uh, really excited about it when it came out. And uh, can you share a little bit about the story? I thought it was very interesting. Uh, we have two former players, two all-star players. Uh, Tracy's in the Hall of Fame about their new venture and what they're doing that you uh, that you written about there that was in the uh, in the Times. Well, it is it is interesting. And the reason I called you is because very few players have made that transition from playing to being an agent. And you are known as the most successful one and, and have probably done it the longest. I mean, I think it's an interesting game you know, to try. I, I spent days racking my brain. How many, how many names could I even come up with of, of players who have actually tried it? There, there haven't been that many. And so for Tracy McGrady, a Hall of Famer, Jermaine O'Neal, six all-star appearances, these guys have been out of the league for a few years. For them to decide to come together and to start an agency, I don't think I need to tell you what a cutthroat industry it is. Uh, you know, it's like the fact that they want to dive into this chaos is it is fascinating. And, uh, you know, again, just, you know, how many players have done it? I mean, Jack Marin was a two-time All-Star. He, he did it back in the day. Len Elmore was a college All-American. He did it. Norm Nixon, obviously, a huge part of, of, the, of the Laker teams, uh, you know, the early days of Showtime. He did it. Mokhtar Njai, now a scout with the Knicks. He, he's been an agent. Obviously, everybody knows BJ's been doing this for a long time. But, you know, there are more, and I'm sure I'm, I, I'm missing some, but is it 10? Is it, even, is it 20? I don't, I don't know if there have been 20 players who have tried to do this. Mitchell Butler, who played at UCLA, is another right. one. I, but I don't know if we all put our heads together, could we come up with 20 former players who have tried to go this route? And, and so for, for Tracy McGrady and Jermaine O'Neal to want to do this, uh, it, it's going to be fascinating. I think a lot of people will be interested to see how it plays out. And, you know, just talking about those guys and you said, you know, to, to enter that field, to enter that world. I mean, there, there's a lot of notoriety that comes with those names, but I'm always fascinated, Stein, to, to see how much is known of the earlier generations of guys that come into the league who are their favorite players. If you just had to guess, do you think the name recognition of Jermaine O'Neal and Tracy McGrady would resonate with a guy like Amani Bates or any of these younger guys? Or am, am, I, am I stretching a little bit? I think, well, well, T-Mac, obviously, I think, is, is that kind of player. Yeah, he was on the jump, you know, too. You know, that helps. You know, he, he, he definitely is. But I think what people probably don't know about Jermaine O'Neal is, you know, he owns a facility in the Dallas area called Drive Nation, which is just an absolute powerhouse for youth basketball. He's one of the founding fathers of that facility. And, you know, they've, they've, that faci- three players who've gone through that facility, including R.J. Hampton, are projected first-round picks in this year's draft. Cade Cunningham is a contender to be the number one overall pick in the next draft. So I think Jermaine O'Neal already has a working familiarity with some of the top young players in the game as we speak. So I, I I don't see that as their challenge. I think it doesn't take much more of a Google click to look up 
how good these guys were. <laughs> but mm -hmm. again, the competition, you know, fierce doesn't even begin to describe the competitions between agencies. They're going to, you know, the first question they're going to get is what is your negotiating experience? What contracts are, have you negotiated? How are you going to manage me if you haven't done it? You know, they're going to, those are the kinds of questions that they're going to have to answer. And they're obviously going to have to bring in experienced people to help them. But I, I do think that those names do still carry quite a bit of star wattage. Mm -hmm. you, you know, Mark, uh, you, now that you're there and just changing the, uh, a little bit now that you're in the in the bubble we had emmanuel moutier and we've had some players on that are currently down there so you you guys have better access than me yeah but <laughs> I, but i want to hear from your perspective because one of the things that everyone has said kind of just kind of you know just in conversation is how safe they feel in the environment you know when the nba was taking on this task i didn't know what to think i was like you know god that's a, that's a, that's a big that's, that's, that's kind of a big picture idea of thinking that they could pull this off. And then recently, I think a couple of days ago, they came out and said they had, they've had zero cases. Right. Which is incredible. How do you feel? Can you give us, you know, share with us your perception, your, you know, from your lens of what's it like to really be down there in this environment? Personally, I don't find myself being too worried or too scared. I think part of that, though, is just, again, that's my own internal internal wiring i am so neurotically obsessed with the reporting and the writing that i've got to do <laughs> or i'm paranoid about accidentally crossing a boundary i'm not supposed to and ending up in a in a 10-day quarantine like rishon holmes or kaboklo and i do not want to do that because when you when that happens then they start using that long stick on you and i do not want the long stick <laughs> up the nose so those, those are those are my those are my more tangible fears right now but look they the whole plan was with teams test for two weeks before you even get here try to identify the positive cases make sure that they don't get in the bubble and to this point they've been successful with that approach and obviously that has created some optimism on campus and I think guys feel pretty good about that but the basketball two teams playing against each other is just now starting and obviously that's going to take things to a different level and, and we just have to see. But I don't, I don't think there's any question that to this point that there, you know, when that report came out that 346 players have tested and none have tested positive, no question that was a, a boost to everybody's spirits here, I think. And, and son, I have to ask about the lines. You mentioned, you know, Rashawn Holmes crossing that line and having to go into a 10-day quarantine. Can you just sort of paint the picture? Is it actual lines that are drawn out in the grass for people to see where they are? I mean, is it that explicit <laughs> that, that, or like what? That, that's the thing. I can't paint the picture because the, the three-team hotels were, were not allowed to set foot up. Okay, so I, okay. So I really don't know how well the boundaries are marked. I mean, I think it is pretty clear, you know, we're only supposed – we have room service – and we have five or six restaurants that we can use an app to delivery, deliver from because those five or six restaurants have clearance to drop off at whatever delivery hub they've set up. If you're getting food from not one of those sources, it should probably click in your head that you're, you're probably going somewhere you, don't, you shouldn't be. But no, from on our, on our property, I have, I, I'm so afraid of the boundaries. I haven't gone to look for them. I don't even want to get, I don't even want to get, <laughs> you don't even want to see the edge. <laughs> I, I don't want to see the sign because I don't want to go past the sign. So it's like, I am, I am, 
my my room is right near a parking lot. I have not even stepped into the parking lot. Like, I, <laughs> I, I get on the bus and go where I'm told. That's it. Uh, you know, uh, Mark, they've been talking about, you know, uh, you know, recently about, you know, who's going to be MVP and most improved and defensive player of the year and all of those things. Can you share with us uh, who you've kind of see as the MVP and defensive player of the year and all of those things? Well, I would just say, I mean, one, since I've gone to the times, the time we do not vote on year end awards. So I am no longer, I would no longer a voter. I, all my ESPN years, I was Dallas morning news, LA daily news, always vote on awards at the times. We don't obviously though, everyone has an MVP opinion. I do think it's Giannis. I mean, LeBron was coming on strong and you know, the fact that, it cuts off at March 11th, obviously affects him hugely because the Lakers were gaining steam. And, you know, that whole, I think the LeBron MVP campaign, we were going to be hearing a lot of, if, if we yeah. don't stop on March 11th, we would have heard nothing but that for the next month. But uh, the way Milwaukee has, has ran away, uh, you know, where they rank offensively and defensively, the fact that Giannis got better after an MVP season, I mean, I, you know, I just think he has had the best season and that, that was always the way I did it. You know, if you were, if you were, if you were just playing pickup and you had to pick one guy, you know, it's like Jordan didn't win every year. And and a lot of people would say, how could Jordan not win every year? Michael Jordan was always the best player. That was never in dispute. The years he didn't win MVP was because someone else was deemed to have a better season. And I voted, I can't remember if I voted for Malone both times he won, but I definitely voted for Malone the year he won the first time because the West was always a nightmare and the Jazz went to the top of the West with Malone having the best season of his career. And I just thought that season, Malone's individual season was more impressive than what Michael's was. But obviously if we're having a pickup game, everyone's picking Michael 11 times out of 10. But that's really not what the MVP is. The MVP is meant to reward the best season. But what's everybody brings a different set of criteria to the right. table. And that's why you have the debate. Look, the league loves the debate. They would love for us to debate this for an hour. <laughs> they, you know, they, that's what they want. Right, what about, all right, let's go quickly. Defensive player of the year. I mean, that's the thing. I, I, can't, I, I don't have answers for you because I haven't I, – I don't study it because I don't do it anymore. Um, so, I, I – uh, you know, obviously, rookie is Ja. You know, Zion mm. lost his chance to, to right. make, make that one up. But, like, I haven't – I don't even have it at, at my fingertips because – I don't have to do it anymore, and I'm honestly – I'm not sad that I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. no, vo- no. Vo- voting, voting is, is too much pressure because – Another thing that's gotten very uncomfortable for the media is bonuses are based on these things. Mm -hmm. And as reporters, we don't want to be determining guys' bonuses. We don't want to be the reason that a guy is a super max player or not, or that he's getting a million dollar bonus because he was defensive player of the year or not. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I do not miss, I, I can't (laughs) say that I miss award season. I will ultimately, I will ultimately print what would have been my ballot, but, 
I apologize. I do not have it. I do not have all six of the categories at my fingertips. That, that, that's totally <laughs> fine. I'm ha- I'm actually happy to hear that. You seem like a much happier person not having to do that. Uh, I'll, I'll, sure. I'll, I'll ask you something else, not about awards, but about predictions, which is just as bad. So if we, LeBron James says uh, at the end of his press conference yesterday, nothing is normal in 2020. There's a lot of people that are making bold predictions about what we may see when it gets down to crunch time here with the NBA and some surprise teams. The Thunder, there's been some rumors about the Thunder being a team, you know, out of the West potentially. But if Mark Stein had to make a choice, you know, obviously you're based in Dallas, you know the Mavericks pretty well. A lot of people like Luka in a tournament environment. Is there a team that stands out to you that it's not normal for that team to go and win an NBA title, but in this environment, they have a real shot to do it? Well, look, I mean, sleepers will certainly emerge, and I think mm-hmm. that'll be easier to, to, to pinpoint when we, when we see, you know, we won't we even guys. get that yep. full idea in the scrimmages because I think in scrimmages, you're going to see teams be, you know, very judicious with their star players in terms of minutes and, and easing them back. So one thing you hear from a lot of teams is, you know, they haven't played since March. What we last saw doesn't necessarily apply. The Oklahoma City Thunder were on an absolute roll when things started. But you can't snap your fingers and assume that that's going to continue now four months later. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a whole offseason, really, that they've gone through since we last saw any of these teams. So uh, I'm not ready to, to anoint sleepers. I picked Milwaukee coming into the season. You know, they are missing a few guys, but uh, number 34 is here and you know, Middleton is here. And, uh, you know, I I think I'm going to stick, you know, another one of my little personal rules is I don't like changing picks. So I picked Milwaukee a bazillion years ago, whenever that, whenever we did (laughs) preseason picks and until they start losing, you know, knock on wood, I'm not, not, not rooting for that, but until anyone starts losing key personnel, I'm not ready to divert from from the top teams. But I, I, you know, again, nobody wants to do it, but I think you do have to take a wait and see approach because we just, we haven't seen these guys in ages. You know, uh, you made a very interesting point. You know, they haven't played in so long. We don't know what it's going to look like, but our producer here, he's a Philadelphia 76ers fan. So we we're intrigued with anything that comes out of Philadelphia. And when you look at the Sixers, how they ended the season with Ben Simmons as a point guard, now it was just announced he's going to be the power forward position. Have you seen the Sixers play? And can you give us any updates on the Sixers? Because they are basically a new team now with Ben Simmons <laughs> playing the power forward position. That I have not had a chance to visit the Sixers yet, but I don't think there's any question that if we were making a list of teams that have benefited from this break, they have to be at or near the top. And Bede is in better shape. Uh, ben Simmons had a major back issue when we last saw this team and he's in much better condition on that basis alone, whatever happens with this Bennett power forward experiment, they're, they're in much better shape. Obviously they want to get more shooting on the court. And that's part of the reason behind this move. I still tend to think Ben's going to have the ball in his hands plenty. I mean, you know, the big mystery for the Sixers with me is, they were such a great home team, such a bad road team. And now what kind of bubble team will they be with no fans? But I, I think Sixers have reason to be pretty optimistic. Again, just because you know their two centerpieces are going to be starting this thing in much better shape than they were the last time we saw them. 
And you mentioned the, the centerpieces. I want to talk about another team of centerpieces, Kimball Walker with the Celtics. And the, that would, a lot of people thought that the time off would have helped Kimball Walker, but he's not quite at the point, it seems like, health wise. Is that something to keep? Is that probably the biggest name to, to watch as we get into these scrimmages and get into these games to see where he is with the Celtics? Yeah, you know, I, I'm sure Celtics fans are freaked out about it because, you know, we don't, still don't know that much injury wise on, on, you know, we, we just know he's, he's, he's not ready to go yet. I actually did have a chance encounter with Kemba, one of those quick drive-by hellos that I'm probably not supposed to have, but it was great to see him. And he looked, you know, again, we spent a minute together tops, but he was in good spirits. He didn't seem overly concerned. So I think we will see him, you know, I can't give you an exact timeline on, timeline on it, timeline on it, but uh, yeah, I mean, that you know, it's, it's, it's a mystery and, you know, the Celtics obviously need him, but I think, Again, we're going to see teams, you know, you asked me at the beginning, you know, about, you know, who's got to jump, you know, who's got to get off to a great, great start here or whatever. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think we're, we're going to see, we're going to see some of these teams ease their way in because again, that ramp up in no four months off and basically three weeks of full speed basketball to get ready. It's not enough time. It's just not enough. And so mm-hmm. they're, these teams are going to have to ease into it to some degree. Yep. So what you're saying is basically it's not load management. This will be coaching management. I mean, I, <laughs> in the bubble. I think I think I mean I, I think injury risk and injury fretting is a big thing. I think everybody is worried about. It. I mean, you know, you you you've heard Nate McMillan with the Pacers talk about it. You know, both his bigs, you know, my, Miles Turner and Sabonis have have picked up injuries just you know since they've started up again because again it's just it's just there's no alternative to get the season in, they couldn't wait longer, but no matter what individual work you did four months without full speed, five on five is just a, a, a crazy amount of time and, and a scary amount of time for, for these guys to go without playing. You know, Mark, we want to, you know, last question, we want to let you out of here. You talked about the Pacers and suddenly Victor Oladipo said he's going to play. Can you give us a quick update on his status you know, where, where he's at, because at the beginning he said he wasn't going to play. Now it looks like he is going to play. Can you give us an update on, on uh, his status? Well, I don't know that he'll ever say this is the reason, but it was clearly conveyed to him that if you don't play and you choose not to play, you're forfeiting in the $3 million range. And that's obviously not an insignificant amount of money. So I, you know, I think based on everything he said before he rejoined practices, his, his first choice would have been to not play. And you can understand why. He had a devastating injury. It's not a common injury. He missed more than a year, and he's eligible for a big extension this fall. But, uh, you know, he has been practicing. The word is he's going to play in the scrimmages and give it a go. So, uh, you know, if I had $3 million on the line, I imagine I probably would do the same. But I think, I think caution is going to be applied here. And, you know, how he looks in the scrimmages will really make the decision because again, when you're, you know, $3 million might be a sacrifice that has to be made when you're talking about a long-term future that's nine figures. So mm-hmm. uh, it was a devastating injury. And he's also one of those guys that I think we will all be talking about a lot and watching closely because, uh, you know, he's got a lot riding on this. Absolutely. Well, uh, Mark, we appreciate you coming on the show. We appreciate you sharing your insight and we hope you stay safe in the bubble and enjoy the scrimmages today. We we're happy that you have some real basketball back in your life and you get you get some time to watch some real basketball. So that's great. We're all excited for that. 
yeah, no, I, I can't wait here. It's going to be, it's going to be strange, but <laughs> once the, once, once the ball is thrown up and it gets going, I think, I think everybody's going to be pretty, pretty damn excited. Yep. Absolutely. Well, well, thanks again, Mark. Appreciate it. Stay safe, my friend. And please come back and and share with us. Uh, we'd love to get your insight, get your views here. And uh, thank goodness basketball is back. We're all, we're all happy. All got a smile on our face. Sounds good guys. All right. Thanks. Be well. Thanks, Dan.